call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast. Jerry Pasquitz joined, as always, for our game reviews by Daryl Rideau. And, uh, yeah, Daryl, uh, we're going to talk about this one. Uh, USC falls yesterday to ASU uh, 38-35 to take the record to 4-4. Four and four. And, and we're going to talk about this game, but then we're also going to end this podcast uh, talking about the state of the program and, and where things are at right now because you, you, you cannot take a peek at the WeRSE message boards right now and, and ignore what's going on uh, as far as the, pul- the pulse of the fans uh, for this football team is. Uh, Clay Helton is under a serious microscope. I don't think that's, uh, that's any secret, uh, as yeah. we'll talk about. We don't know how Lynn Swan feels because we've never seen Lynn Swan go through something like this. But what yesterday also did, and we're gonna, we're gonna talk about the good, the bad, and, and everything in between. But w- what I really feel bad about yesterday with, with, with the loss coming down the way that it did is that it overshadowed a couple of performances that we're gonna discuss. And one of them is Jack Sears. Uh, one of them is Talanoa Hufanga. Oh, yeah. uh, Tyler Vaughn's what he did. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to talk about all of these things. Um, let's start right at the talk about what caused USC to lose this football game. Um, and then as I think a pretty slow start with the offense to be understood. To be understood, like Jack yeah. Spears. Um, but, but, but also I think there was a, uh, there was a couple fourth down calls. There was a, a call on offense, a decision to go for it. Rather than kick a field goal, there was a defensive call on a fourth and one. There was a lot of things, Daryl, that just the ball didn't bounce our way on this one, and you end up losing by three points. Uh, what, what jumps out of the top of your mind? Well, you know, you, you started off you started off by talking about USC being four and four, and okay, that might be acceptable, Gary and Westwood, considering the start that 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 they had under um, mm-hmm. um, Kelly. Right, four and four, they would probably sing in a be singing his praises right about now because of the sure. narrative. But at USC, when expectations are always high, regardless of who you're replacing at the quarterback position, because of the school's ability to continuously recruit four- and five-star athletes. But the question that always looms is, how are these athletes developing? And right now, we are seeing a program that has a lot more questions than answers. And I think the greatest indication of where this program is headed is the fight that we saw in this game, again, this is a situation where the USC, yes, okay, yeah, you're bringing in Jack Sears, and he had limited reps. But mm-hmm. you managed to, and, and you, the offense struggled the first half, up until about, would you say, the last drive leading into halftime. And it sure. was almost as sure. like things started Very to nice click. Drive. You yeah. know, and if, and if we're going to give a little bit of praise or a lot of praise to Jack Sears, it's the fact that, he maintained his composure, stayed within himself, and then he, he, he caught lightning in a bottle. It was almost as though he was able to summon his play and performance in high school and, and, and really orchestrate a drive to the point where we forgot that he was a third-string quarterback based on the way that he was performing. So he goes down and gives us a score. They go into halftime, they make some adjustments, and it's almost as though that the offense, the offense looked as good as it's looked in a long time. It moved. It had energy. It had flow, Gary. It told a story. You know, there was mm-hmm. some uh, misdirection, boots and waggles that we saw, and very aggressive play calling. We saw a couple of flea flickers, right? We we saw yep. a reverse pass by Tyler Vaughn, and you, you got pass. the sense that a beautiful pass. You got the sense that okay, this team has some fight, and it's because you teased us with that fight that we have to 
that, that the mistakes become magnified. Because when your team is building momentum and you march back down 24 to 7 and you come back to make the, the you know, to put the game, um, to give yourself an opportunity to tie the game, uh, going into the fourth quarter with a little over 10 minutes to go, Gary, mm-hmm. the score was 31 to 28. And for me, I think it comes down to this critical play. Clay Helden had was was facing a fourth and long one. Could have been very close to a fourth and two, but the official said it was fourth and one. The Boober uh, uh, Clay did what I thought was a calculated thing. He put his special teams on the field to kick about a you know the ball was somewhere around the twenty, so it might have been under a forty yarder between a thirty seven and a forty yard field goal attempt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Boo Birds came out, and Gary, if I didn't know any better. When the fans started booing the fact that the that the um, that the special teams was on the field, even though that it felt like at that juncture in the game that that was the right thing to do, it got into Clay's head. It appeared as though it got into Clay's head because he called a timeout and he put his offense back on the field. And at that point, I was wondering to myself, did he just get turned and flipped by the fans? Did they mm-hmm. influence his decision? Or was it truly a calculated decision based on his post-game remarks that after he assessed it from the 20-yard line, um, he decided he, – he made a judgment call to bring his offense back on the field? How did you feel about him taking the special teams off the field for an attempt to convert a fourth and one? Uh, I would certainly not rule out the fact that the sparse crowd uh, influenced his decision. It certainly seemed that way. And again, if you're going to go with a decision such as that, for you know, we may have conflicting opinions about this. What I'm about to say, but if you're going to go for it on fourth down, then make uh-huh. sure you have a fourth down package, a short yardage package on the field that includes a Vavai Malapii, your biggest running back who was having a great deal of success in the second half, who I still contend will lean for one yard. If needed, uh-huh. and and can erase any mistakes from not having a lead blocker coming around the corner. And too many times are we seeing the wrong personnel on the field, whether it's a, a smaller Stephen Carr against Texas, or in this case, an Cedric Ware who might have been averaging five yards a carry, um, according to uh, Clay's statistics and, uh-huh. and what he saw. But in that situation, I want to lean with my big eyes. I want to lean with somebody with broad shoulders, big shoulder pads that can carry me for a yard if I need a yard. And because of that personnel situation, I think you put your team at a disadvantage. Because what happens if you don't get the ball, such as the case against the Aztecs, momentum shifts to the other side. Now you find yourselves, you know, with your heels backed <clears throat> with, with, with momentum backing you up, and it felt like the defense was playing on their heels, reacting to everything, feeling deflated that they walked, that the offense walked away with no point. Yeah, it, it, it just seemed, I, I would look at it and, and add, that the fact that it was such a struggle up until the first half, up until halftime, basically. Right. Um, and you you got a little gift to get back in there at the end of the first half, and, and you scrapped your way back in. And it was kind of like, wait a minute, we – to me, it would have been such an emotional lift to tie that game up. 
to tie uh, that game point. up. And I'm so glad I'm so glad you you made that point because when they found themselves down 24 to 7 and they started to rally late mm-hmm. first uh first half and then you know two magnificent drives to start the second half and you felt mm-hmm. that momentum with 10 minutes to go if the score becomes 31-31 it's a whole new ball game. I just didn't feel like that was the situation to go for to go for it and be that aggressive, considering that there was so much time left on the clock and you still had at least in the bag two timeouts. So kicking it like you said, thirty one thirty one, you know, resetting things, now all of a sudden you put the you put the pressure back onto Arizona State to have to yes. march down the field. That's that those little situations impacted this game significantly. Um, yeah, you know, special teams-wise. Uh, Tyler Vaughn starts the game off, scores an 83-yard punt return, uh, puts seven points on the board, which I thought was going to kind of, uh, you know, if you're Jack Sears, you certainly want to step on the field knowing that you're nursing a lead as opposed to, uh-huh. you know, the, the hole that they found themselves in later on in the first half. But then you give it back to them when you could not afford to give up anything on special teams. Directional kick to the right side, peristyle in right side. Uh, Nikhil, um, is it Nikhil, Nikhil Harry? Harry? Yeah, yeah, Nikhil yeah. Harry. Exceptional talent. We should all know because those of us who follow the message boards know how bad we wanted to see him in the Cardinal and Gold. And, mm-hmm. and instead he finds himself in Maroon. Um, I don't know how he goes from the right side of the field across to USC sideline, manages to stay in bounds, unscathed, unabated, into the end zone. It was as though he was marching down a parade with, with the police escort. That's the way it felt. Because in that situation, you had to find a way, if you're one of the 11 players on special teams, you had to find a way to get him on the ground or out of bounds. And they did not, Gary. And it just felt like all the momentum was just sucked out of the stadium. To the point where we started seeing people, re, you know, conceding and, and leaving a little prematurely from 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 my dollar. Uh huh. Yeah, and, and that was tough because he, like you say, he took it uh, in the area over nearest to where we are in the press box in the temporary press boxes. Yep. So he was he he basically took that right in front of us, and you saw him cut all the way across toward the SC sideline, and it's Daryl. It just didn't look mathematically possible that he was going to get through that. There was just too many Trojan bodies. It was just too many Trojan bodies, but and, and but, yet he did. But it felt like they were all on the same plane. They were all on the same level, so it made it uh-huh. easy for them to fall like dominoes. Yeah, it did. Okay, there should have been some layers to that. Um, but speaking of layers, Gary, as frustrating as that was. Special teams is is um, a third component of a of a team, but in terms of the amount of plays that are played on offense and defense, that that cannot speak to the frustrations that I saw. If we're still talking situational football, sure. On that fourth and one, when you had Manny Wilkins, uh-huh. it looked like he he faked the handoff to Eno Benjamin, who gave USC fits, rushed for about a hundred, a buck eighty nine. And, I mean, was just bouncing off of guys all night. But to watch the way that the defense collapsed to try to to stop 
um, what they believed when Benjamin, they thought Benjamin had the ball, only to find that Wilkins tucked the ball and scampered in about 35 yards for a touchdown that really just kind of put the nail in the coffin for this game. It, it took the score from um, 31 to 28 to 38 to 28. And for for me, Gary, I can't understand how you lose containment and he is not accounted for, considering that he hurt them for 89, 90 yards on the ground himself. You right. know, it just it just felt the the very same way that they went in to defend that punt return. I got the sense that they were defending the run play the same way. There was no secondary contain. There was no edge rusher there to seal. In a situation where you miss someone like Porter Gustin, it's those situations that continue to be highlighted that these players are not prepared for those crucial situations that become momentum changers. Okay, I want to play a little a little devil, devil's advocate, but I also want to say something on Manny Wilkins. I always put so much of a premium on that veteran quarterback, that senior quarterback in the Pac-12 conference. I, I just always gonna gonna favor that guy, and I, to me, that was one of those plays that Manny Wilkins, who has played a lot of football for ASU, uh, has yeah. been through a lot of wars, and uh, that that kind of play is tucked away. Uh, with a very good fake on his end, and like you say, well executed. That 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 to me is one of those veteran plays that a, that a senior quarterback makes that you get advantage of. Okay, that being said, um, mm-hmm. you have something you want to comment on? Oh, I was just going to say, and ten years from now, when someone asks Manny Wilkins about his senior year, he's uh-huh. going to draw back to this game. Yeah. Against the against the Trojans in the Coliseum, nine, uh, nursing a nineteen home game winning streak, mm-hmm. how he rose to the occasion. This game is going to be most memorable for him. There you go, um, Daryl. What, 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 I don't want to say a pass to the SC defense because that's not what we're giving them at all. Um, yeah. But Daryl, you, you did not have you have three senior captains and you didn't have any of them for this game. Any of them. Those are not small losses. No, I mean, yeah. when, you, when you're talking about who those senior captains are, right? You're talking, exactly. We already knew Porter mm-hmm. Gustin wasn't in there, but they, the, the, the defense has been able to manufacture ways to, you know, um, replace him. But then you talk about the likes of a Cam Smith and a Marvell Tell? Are you kidding you me? You didn't even know. You lose you Marvell Tell before this game. Mm-hmm. And yep. what he means and- to that secondary. And, and not only that, but you're, you're already down a bunch of safeties, so you, you didn't even – you weren't even allowed to go through your normal rotation. You had to move a Jamie right. Harris back to safety, which meant you had to put Jonathan Lockett in the slot. So those are two guys who have not played in those two spots in a long time. In my unsung heroes, because if you're a Jamie Harris and you have aspirations of playing in the NFL, you're like, uh-huh. man, you're about to expose me by putting me at safety? Uh, just leave me at the slot. But no, because of his love for and, and his commitment to this team, he played out of position. And might I say, at times he played extremely well, considering the lack of reps that he has at that position. It's one thing, Gary, to be in a, in a film room and to watch what everybody else in the secondary do. But let's face it, we're all creatures of habit. We study ourselves and our position a little bit more than we may study Marvell Tell because he's been USC's Iron Man. You don't expect him not to be in the game. So why right. would you try to or be expected to understand and really learn what his role is? But kudos to Ajayne Harris. 
in Jonathan Lockett. I mean, here's a kid who has just battled back from injuries um, in his past. And earlier in this year, it was just being bothered by his hip. Mind you, Gary, he came in as a corner. Great player mm-hmm. out of modern day. Have a great deal of respect for his ability. Um, just He's just such a smart player. But for him to seamlessly fall in line at that um, that uh, nickel position and then come up big when it felt like, uh, I think it was Houston and uh, Biggie Marshall forced that fumble. And for Lockett to be Johnny on the spot and to come yeah. up in a big situation and recover that fumble right there, I was so happy. I couldn't have been more prouder for him. Yeah, that was nice. Uh, I also want to say one last thing on a Jane um, for those of, uh, those of anyone who has lost a parent out there, Jane lost his father eight days ago. Eight days um, ago, Gary. And, and, and came out and was, man, that, that, that. so kudos to you, Jane. And uh, that was a big one. But we saved the best for last on the safety position. <laughs> no doubt. And that was number 15. That was number 15. <laughs> yeah. That Colin young man. Is and a let's, man. Enjoy, let's enjoy what we saw him because it looks like he's out for the rest of the season. But Daryl. What this young man did on yesterday, holy cow, that was a game. You know, he had a coming-out party in that game. Mm -hmm. Because at a time where, again, he might have even relied on the likes of a Marvell Tell. Sure. You know, he assumed that responsibility that although I'm a freshman, I'm the more senior freshman of this group or experienced player who's playing my natural position. But, boy, did he turn it out. Early in the fourth quarter – he had a sequence that just reminded me of my former teammate, Troy Palomalu, the way that Troy had his way of taking over a game. Um, mm-hmm. Not since Troy, maybe a Matt Grudegood in my era, okay, from the, the, couple the, the, the pre- couple pretty good slash linebacker position. <laughs> exactly, right? Who could just take over a game at the line of scrimmage. Um, many people might, might, might say that uh, a junior Sehal, the way that, that he hovered around the line of scrimmage, and he was able to make plays, but the way that Hufanga, who who just really said, look, I know we're down from an experience standpoint, but he had a sequence where he crept at the line of scrimmage, tackle for loss, hovered uh-huh. back around the line of scrimmage, got his hands up for a crucial deflection at a That's time when I he was. needed to get Arizona yeah. State off the field. And then he finds – he flips the side, he goes weak side, and uh, makes a great open field tackle – which saved um, a, a third down conversion, got USC the um, or got Arizona State off the field. USC's offense back. That sequence was as great of a sequence that I've seen, and I, and I can't say the last time I've seen an, a um, performance like that from a true freshman. Remarkable, right. Gary. That was nice. That was real nice. Okay, let's let's flip it over to offense. Um, before we get to Jack Sears, I, I, I want to talk. We, we kind of touched on Tyler Vaughn's. Um, the uniqueness of what he did yesterday with his, you want to call it his triple play, but yet, uh, like you say, punt return for a touchdown, throws a touchdown, a beautiful touchdown, and then catches a touchdown late. But that also, uh, you, you, you got to take the good with the bad. Um, the good he dropped the, bad. the normally very reliable Tyler Vaughn's. Uh, dropped oh, a touchdown man. pass that really could have been a huge difference in this game. And from my vantage point, watching it on the Jumbotron, Sears could not have thrown a more prettier pass considering any circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that that Sears 
doesn't have a lot of reps with uh, with Vons. And if no. he didn't have any reps with Vons, you have to almost go back to spring football where he might have had consistent reps with them. But for him right. to teardrop that pass, Gary, and catch Vons in stride, that ball hits Vons in between in between the hands, bread basket. It felt like all he had to do was just clutch the ball. And for some reason, he I don't know what happened, but a slight distraction, maybe it was the defender who at the last mm-hmm. minute swiped at his hands. But again, we've seen Vons catch balls, harder balls, more difficult catches in traffic. You know, um, I, that is the one pass that you know he would want back. Oh, without a doubt. And, 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 and a huge one. Uh, and there's no doubt about it. Um, but let's also talk about the Tyler, the quarterback, who, yeah. uh, who dropped a perfect pass of his own to, to, to Michael Pittman, who you mentioned as we were getting ready for this. Who's really playing well these days, Michael Pittman? I mean, he is playing great football. I mean, just dominant efforts. Um, dominating his opponent and really intimidating a lot of the corners uh, all throughout the Pac-12. And it's a shame that the team isn't showcased and contending for higher aspirations right now because he would be up for a lot of awards. And it's right. unfortunate that his efforts, the efforts of this this receiving core in general, is really kind of overshadowed by the um, the anemic offense at times that that mm-hmm. just can't seem to manufacture and generate consistent points. But um, when when you talk about Pittman's two touchdown performance and a hat trick by Bonds, you can't help but wonder where was this offense manufactured from, considering. Sears didn't have a lot of playing time, didn't have a lot of opportunities to really, you know, kind of find a rhythm with these guys. Well, you you almost have to wonder if if the success that we saw late in the first half, Gary, in, in, which extended into the second half, isn't a recipe for USC success moving forward. The offense just had, again, we talked about it, so much energy. And when, you, when you're featuring this 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, um, run-pass option, RPO type of spread offense, the mm-hmm. threat of, of Sears running the ball really changed the dynamics of spacing for the, the running backs. We saw at times Vavai Malapiai, he got off, and and the offense had a lot of success running the ball in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we saw the emergence of the tight ends, how they can effectively be used, catch them in stride. Now, I'm not suggesting that Sears had a a perfect game in terms of timing because no, he waited for sure pockets before he threw the ball at times. But Gary, I believe he was what twenty for twenty for twenty eight. Twenty for twenty eight. Didn't throw. A, yep. Didn't put himself in any position to throw an interception. And and you can you can argue early in the game uh, there was a spacing issue, but when he tried to option the ball off. But with the exception of that, played a relatively clean game, and we didn't see a lot of hero ball situations. That, that would cause you to cringe. And that's why I believe that the tempo that the offense played at and the stories that it was able to tell from um, uh, the correct way of using Bayless Jones to that um, reverse pass that we talked about with Vaughn, the boots mm-hmm. and waggles, you know, faking and then rolling out, uh, creating new pockets for himself and, and hitting guys in stride. Even the, 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 the touchdown to Pittman, the, his first touchdown, um, was a crossing route. And it was well orchestrated. If you're going to try to get him 
on the move and limit, you know, um, um, the, the reads. You couldn't have asked and scripted a better situation. So if we're going to criticize T. Martin, let's also praise him for adapting under those circumstances. I And I saw several messages uh, on the message boards, you know, noting that, saying, hey, let's give credit where credit due. That, that was a good – that was a good game by T. Was it just a good game because it was a good game, or was it a good game because he had, let's face it, better 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 quarterback personnel to fit his offense? Shall we say to fit to fit this yeah this particular offense? Because I'm not I'm still not sure that I know what T's offense is. I, I just don't. Um, but let me ask you this: all throughout camp, when there was a three-headed monster at the quarterback position, and even going back to spring. Clay talked about not wanting to commit to either Matt Fink or Jack Sears as the starting quarterback to give JT Daniels a fair opportunity to come in and compete. Well, it got so bad, Gary, to the point where I started to to think that we had bums at the quarterback position. But when I think about last week against Utah, when Fink came in to spare uh, JT, who was going through concussion protocol at that moment, the offense played with energy and rhythm. Mm-hmm. Then this week, once Sears got going, the offense played with the same rhythm. So am I to believe that these quarterbacks were bums, or are they truly better than we may have given them credit for? Because it certainly feels like, like the way the energy that Sears played with and the courage that he com- finished the game with, um, showing no no quit in him leads us to believe that there is more competition in that quarterback room than we were led to believe. What are your thoughts? And kudos to Jack Sears on that. The, the, the thing that was uh, that I enjoyed seeing the most about Jack yesterday is that that's what we saw from Jack in high school. Uh, Jack is a non-pulse competitor out there. Uh, he is just one steady person on the yeah. football field. Going about his job and doing his job, and I and I love that about him. I always have. Right. And, and I don't think that that was anything over his head yesterday uh, with what he did. I think this could get really interesting if uh, if indeed it does play out uh, into any kind of competition. We'll see what happens. But I, I think there's an argument to be made that, that the elements of what both Jack and Matt think bring are elements yeah. that JT Daniels does not bring and they do fit this offense well. Well, well, let me say this. Assuming that there is no changes to to the offense in terms of um, play calling, or in other words, uh, assuming that this coaching staff plays out the year and they're fighting mm-hmm. for their proverbial coaching lives, okay? Mm-hmm. If I, I think that Clay has to have a gut check here. When he lays his head down, when he laid his head down last night, looking mm-hmm. and moving forward, with a healthy JT Daniels, let's assume that he passes uh, concussion protocol and he comes back. I think Clay has to ask himself and have an honest, honest look in the mirror. Of these two situations or quarterbacks, which one gives my team the best opportunity to win today? Mm-hmm. Okay, that may change next year, but today. And will do we believe that Clay will give? a fair nod to both of these quarterbacks who deservingly um, – who who I think the program owes them both an opportunity 
to open up that that um that competition and give them an opportunity to to compete for the job again. Because if if we see no more of Jack Sears all year, I would certainly like I would certainly love to believe that the resume that he just the sample size resume that he put on um in a short amount of prep time would give you the impression that if he can't play here, he can certainly win a lot of football games elsewhere. Let's hope yep. that we can keep this kid in the program, but um I think that Clay Helton has to open up that competition to give these kids a fair opportunity to compete. Well, that's uh, that, that, that'll dovetail into the final point of this podcast, uh, and, and that is talking about that state of that program uh, with Clay Helton, because you can't ignore that uh, the specter of uh, of any kind of consideration by Lynn Swan. If, if you're judging by the pulse of the fans right now, uh, there, there, there's enough fans who want Clay out. It, it, I'm, we're not divulging a state secret here. Um, yeah. The turnstile showed it yesterday. Forty-seven thousand people in the stands for for not a bad football game, you know. For not a bad football game. Yeah. Right, you know? right, right. You know. And uh, uh, so, so you've got that, but but Daryl, it, it, it's out there right now. You know, the Trojans are four and four. Uh, we don't he, know how Lynn Swan is going to judge this right. thing, but 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 it's in the air right now. Well, well, okay. So let let's let's look at it from I guess a couple perspectives. Uh, and, I, and I'll try to make this very quick. Um, if if the administration decides to keep and retain Clay, I think it's time that Clay moves on from T. Because the, the marriage in this relationship, um, the chemistry doesn't seem to be working, and it doesn't seem to um, result into consistent efforts. Each week, the system changes, okay? Um, I almost think that USC should take a sample of what we saw with the way that Herm Edwards is running that program at Arizona State with him being the administrator, so to speak, the CEO figure, and bring in two veteran coordinators. Um, mm-hmm. When Clay brought in or uh, brought back Clancy Pendergast, I thought that that took pressure off of him on the one side of the ball and allowed him to focus on the offense. Well, maybe it's time you bring in another veteran offensive coordinator so that you can start paying more attention to these situational details that you're lacking because you got one one eyeball um on the script and another looking at the game. I mean that's mm-hmm. just my evaluation. Otherwise if Clay fails to make some type of decision that I, I think is is going to um demonstrate an assertiveness that you're ready to take command of this program, I, I think that it may be time to part ways. But I would certainly like to see what this program could look like if Clay brought in a more veteran offensive coordinator um, to allow him to focus on running and operating the overall program. And, and I think at this point, I, I get that Neil Calloway is a close family friend of the Helton fam, uh, family. He has known him a long time. Helton, uh, I mean, uh, Calloway coached with his dad a yeah. long time. Um I don't doubt that that man has coached a lot of good offensive line football in his day. He doesn't have the jobs that he has uh, unless he hadn't. I, I, right. I don't know if that day is today. Uh, right. And, and, and I was in years. And I, yeah, I don't know if we've seen the results. 
Right. So why in the hell are you bring in a Tim Drevno? Why'd you bring him in? Why I, I, did I, you I, bring him in, knowing his football acumen, uh, the time that he spent with with um, um, Harbaugh? Harbaugh. Okay. Uh-huh. And you gave us all the impression that you want to go to a more power running game, but at times I feel like this coaching staff tap dances around the truth, okay? And um, in terms of who is actually calling the plays designing, is it by committee or is it truly T. Martin? Because if it is T. Martin and T., your job is on the line, then why aren't you coaching your own quarterbacks? Why aren't you in those meetings? Why are you still coaching wide receivers? That, to me, I just never understood that dynamic because every great coordinator that I've known has always wanted to be an extension of the eyeballs and ears of their, uh, of their, um, their quarterbacks. In sure. the fact that, T, you were a national championship quarterback. Why aren't you coaching them? Okay? I like that resume. I just, you know, and, and again, because of those dynamics, and it feels like that may never be the case, Maybe it's time you move on. Maybe it's time that there's a separation. But, but the fact of the mm-hmm. matter is there are still quality games left on this schedule. You got who? Oregon State, Cal, UCLA, and Notre Dame. They're still the big ones, yeah. yeah. Big ones coming up. And can you honestly say that, you know, the USC can run the tables? I, I, I can't see it right now because we don't know we don't know where this program is going. They seem to be eroding as the year goes on and on paper it should have never come to this because of the amount of talent that they have in this program but the lack of development in chemistry and continuity that we are seeing that is leaking and oozing out week in and week out may cause players to start to do the same thing that the fans are doing tune out the message you certainly hope that that wouldn't be the case but you no longer playing. What are you now playing for? You're not playing for now. Um, you're you're on the outside looking in for the Pac-12 uh, South. You certainly are not playing to contend for a higher bowl game. So what are you playing for? You go from the Rose Bowl, then the Cotton Bowl, right? Last year, and now you're playing mm-hmm. for what the Toilet Bowl? Who knows? Uh, there's still a lot of football left, but I just hope that they can turn this thing around. But I, I almost get the sense, Gary, that there's going to be more questions leading up to this week if Daniels is healthy than, than answers. And that is the most concerning thing. And I think our message boards are, are going to start speaking to those type of questions. But, but with, with what's left on the field, I mean, what's left in the schedule, Gary, what should, where, where do you think the program is heading? I, to, 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 to me, it's what you just talked about, um, you know, I don't want to say that uh, you're saying what, what, why, why bring Drevno back. Well, the, the, the big rumor was, okay, Callaway coaches one more year, and you go ahead and uh, he retires, and you move Drevno down to O-line. Um, Clay Helton at the beginning of this year probably couldn't have imagined a scenario that his job could be in jeopardy by the end of the year. Well, it can. Um, maybe you thought it was going to be a seamless transition, but it wasn't. Like you say, the – the who's calling plays, that's been, a, that's been a mystery the entire time in, in this tenure. And is it something that you're going to be able to get through without finding a resolution on? Uh, we'll find out. There's been a lot of good. There's been a lot of good. Um, but there's, there's, there's been too many times, especially this year, where things have been shaky and it's cost you some money. Right. 
Um, right, and, 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 and that's I, been a I'll say bad thing. <laughs> okay, when when you're clear about your message and it is mm-hmm. clear who is calling plays, okay, mm-hmm. you give yourself an out because if it is truly T who is ultimately responsible, which I don't think that that's the case. I do think it's more by committee, but let's assume that it is. Then you can certainly transfer the negativity or the energy and isolate the message, okay? But right now, because it is unclear, you almost have to look at everybody in in whole, that if we can't identify where the issues are coming from, then it's a systemic issue, and, and it's time for a change. Clay, if you're listening to this message the same way you listen to the bluebirds in the stands, be assertive and do what's best for the program, which is ultimately best for your longevity, which is make crucial decisions. Figure out which quarterback will give you the best opportunity to win and go with it decisively. Mm-hmm. Figure out if you are what's best for the program in terms of calling plays, then go with it decisively. But to continue to go down this path is only going to frustrate the matter even more. So I certainly hope that you have a come-to-Jesus moment with yourself and you do what's best for this program so that you can salvage this program. And that's all I got. I, I, I hear you. And like you say, you've got four games left in this schedule that, that, that could impact your standing uh, by the end of the year. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of football here, including two big games. Ed Orgeron didn't get the job because he didn't beat UCLA and Notre Dame. Right. Um, that's how big those two games are to this program. But, but I also just want to give one last uh, talking point as we go here, and it is not huge because when you went with a true freshman quarterback at the beginning of the season, that was casting your lot with JT Daniels. And to have the situation come out where it is right now and to where the, you know, the, the concussion protocol gave an opening for not only Matt Fink to get a little series in there, but for Jack Sears to do what he does. Now you've given fans a glimpse of both of these guys, and both of them showed well. It's going to be very interesting uh, very to see where that may go. Yeah, no, no doubt, Gary. And and like I said, that that's why, if again, if you're not playing for something, then you're playing for the future. And mm-hmm. that quarterback room all of a sudden got a lot more crowded than it did a couple of weeks Ooh. ago. Yes, sir. And and the Sears gave you that with that kind of sample size and the way that the offense rallied around him. Um, if 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 JT is healthy, mm-hmm. I am very curious to see what happens in practice this upcoming week and how are those reps divvied or will Clay go back to JT mm-hmm. and you know and say that. It's his because he lost his job to an injury. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think the storylines are going to be very, very compelling. But if mm-hmm. you were, you know, if you went into the um, the Coliseum with little expectation, you certainly left the Coliseum feeling very optimistic about the future of this program, considering you have two quarterbacks that can lead you to victories. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Sears opened up some eyes yesterday. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. All right, well, hey, these last four weeks are uh, are going to be interesting. The, the Heat is not going to come off Clay Helton because we certainly aren't going to hear anything from Lynn Swan uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. So there's going to be a whole lot of speculation and not a whole lot of answers, Daryl, over these next four weeks. So right. buckle up and see what happens. Uh, 
Because when you've got Trojans and Bruins sitting at the end of the year as long as, and then uh, the Irish coming to town probably unbeaten. Uh, yep. Woo! What a way to end the season. <laughs> you said it there. You said it there. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of football. So we'll, we'll see where this program is heading, or does it go back okay. to? Yeah. That'll be good. Okay, that's our uh, that's our podcast here for today. For Joe Rideau, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE podcast.